Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Ever hopeful of that bit of brightness a little bit later on in the in the into the afternoon, and hopefully we can brighten up somebody else's day today because we are on a free ticket Thursday, and we've been given tickets on this program to get you to see Chris Christopherson live at the Marquee, and he plays on Sunday. July 23rd so so Sunday week and again with any of these tickets I always love the idea that it's a genuine fan somebody who would really love to go along and just couldn't afford to buy the tickets and ever hopeful that they might win them and a little bit later on on the programme we will give you a cue to call and you can either or a cue to text it is actually a cue to text and you can either text or WhatsApp as 0862 103 103 save that number to your phone if you haven't already done it and when we give you the cue to text you need to then start texting immediately and we leave it for about 10 minutes or thereabouts and then we'll we'll randomly select one of the listeners to join us on air and answer a very simple question and I've seen the question it is very simple question about live at the marquee and if you have the correct answer which I know you will you'll be winning a pair of tickets to go to Chris Christopherson on Sunday the 23rd of uh, June okay so stick around for that and while we're talking of winning well done to the gang at Barry's Credit Union or Barry's Cash and Carry in Mallow because according to Bill Brown in today's uh, Corkman it is a syndicate from Barry's that purchased a winning ticket at Dano's Super Value in Bellevue and they have won for themselves five that 500,000 a half a million basically and it's the second win that they seemingly the reports are that there's nine in this syndicate they had a previous win when what was it there was a 20 strong syndicate won they won 370,000 that was in a euro millions uh, draw but now at the moment the National Lottery are saying that nobody has come forward uh, yet uh, but it's the word around town is it's a syndicate from Barry so congratulations to each and every one of them. couple of things just carried over from yesterday before we take a look at what's up and coming on today's programme and, and I just want to give a mention because this came in late and I didn't get a chance uh, to mention it. Yesterday on the programme when we were doing our feature, our bi-monthly feature with Awalia which is offering help and advice to people who find themselves in financial difficulty and particularly in financial difficulty with regard to their homes and the chance of losing their house and if you get into trouble with your mortgage we're trying to get the message through with this bi-monthly feature feature that help is available and Awalia is a state sponsored 
service that's there and it's free of charge and we really are encouraging people and you know to get into that situation where you are drowning in debt and you're terrified they're going to lose the ho- your house and all these letters are coming through and you're probably getting endless phone calls from the bank and some people just have a tendency just to bury their head and hope it'll all go away and of course as we know it won't all go away you have to deal with it and the earlier you deal with it the better and that's where a service like Awalia and Mabs comes into it so yesterday we had Donal O'Mahony from Mabs and he was talking about a debt notice it's called it's a a new service that's available for people who find themselves in what would be deemed smaller debt it's debt up to 35,000 euro someone would say that's not small but it can be somebody say in debt up to 5,000 euro which to some people might not sound like a lot of money but if you can't repay that 5,000 euro then you are drowning in what is perceived as a small debt to some people but help is available and that's the service that Donald was talking about and uh, we've spoken with Donald before through his work with Mabs and he's just a great great guy well somebody listened to Donald yesterday and said Patricia it was great to hear Donald O'Mahony from Mabs on your programme yesterday morning Years ago, Donal helped friends of mine who had got into financial trouble and they were at their wits end. Being an elderly couple, the the issue was nearly the end of them. But Donal, with his vast experience and knowledge of money matters, helped them no end. And they were hugely grateful to him. And now to this day, live with a peaceful mind. I would highly recommend Donal and the services of MABS. Isn't that great? Thank you. And thank you. I don't know. There's no name on that. But thank you to whoever took the time uh, to send that into us. We really do appreciate it. And then yesterday, I mentioned that there was a the fact that the BBC in the United Kingdom, they've made a decision to scrap the blanket-free TV licence for people over the age of 75. Now, over in the UK, it's been branded as disgusting by members of the public. And Peter from Cove had been reading about that over the, over the last few days and he contacted us and he wondered, should RTE do a similar thing? He feels that old age pensioners shouldn't be given a free TV licence. He said, especially given the fact that RTE need more money and we're constantly hearing from RTE that they would like more money and if they had more money they'd be able to invest in new programmes and offer new services etc and he says if they need more money here's a way to generate more money for, for from RTE stop handing out free TV licence which we you automatically get when you come of age when you become an old age uh, pensioner well we got a, some commentary in and actually it's both sides of the fence on this when someone says hi Trish I would like to say to Peter in Cove one day you too will be an old age pensioner and I hope you'll be able to live on the state pension and have good health to do so that's from somebody who has worked and paid their taxes all of their lives thanking you Patricia keep up the good uh, work so that's obviously an old age pensioner who is very grateful that they don't have to pay the 160 euro a year for a TV licence. But then Martin in Formoy contacted us and he said, Patricia, I have to say, I've been thinking about this and I actually agree with Peter in Cove. Also, the, the only thing that he doesn't really agree with is the fact of giving all the extra money to RTE because Martin says, there's nothing good on RTE anyway. We're paying money for very poor viewing. It's a disgrace. Once again, another reason that this country will never be right. But I suppose, Martin, if you put that to Peter in Cove, he would say, if you're not happy with the service you're getting from RTE, isn't that all the more reason that we need to give them more money? Give them more state money so they can provide better programmes. That's That was when Peter from Cove contacted us. That was his theory that they need more money to provide better programmes. And here's one easy way. He saw it as an, kind of an easy solution 
stop handing out free TV licences to old age pensioners, let them pay for it instead and that money then would go to um, RTE. I have to say Peter, and I've thought about it again overnight, I still disagree with you. I do think it would be very a very mean spirited thing to do. I mean I think as the texter there's no name on it said, worked all of their lives, paid their taxes as they're in the autumn of their years I think they deserve a little bit of comfort and if a few fringe benefits and there's not that many fringe benefits and if one of them is a free TV licence long, long may that continue and by the way RTE have come out to say they have no plans to follow the BBC but then they did say in the next breath they can't follow the BBC because it isn't within their remit to decide who pays the TV licence and who who doesn't it's the Department of Communications are responsible for collecting all of the licence fees and then they hand over the bulk of the money to RTE so it wouldn't be up to RTE to uh, decide it. 1850 Now this morning on the programme we're going to be talking about the fact that the government have finally, finally, finally given approval for a ban on microplastics in Ireland and we're going to talk a little bit more around that story and it is well, it's a coincidence actually that it's happened this week that the government have given the nod for this ban because this is also the week that it has come out that all of us eat about five grams of plastic a week. Now you can what's five grams of plastic? Five grams of plastic. It's about the size of a credit card. So if you look at a credit card, that's how much plastic we are eating every single week of our lives. The particles of plastic, they're mainly found in drinking water. So I was kind of smug when I saw this yesterday because I thought it was to do with fish. But it's not. It's drinking water. No, shellfish. If you are a lover of shellfish, then you're eating more than the equivalent of a credit card every single week. And it was the World Wildlife Fund who came out with this, commissioned this study that found they wanted to find out how much plastic we're ingesting every week and that's the figure that they came up with. Now in Ireland, much of our drinking water is drawn from rivers and lakes and rivers and lakes are more at risk of containing microplastics. We are the top producer of plastic waste in Ireland. Now that is the kind of league table that you really don't want to be on the top of. Every now and again you love the idea of being on the top of a league table but we really would like to be at the bottom of that one but we're unfortunately at the top of it. We generate on average 61 kgs per person of waste plastic every year. 61 kgs, that is staggering figure. A new study by Australia's University of Newcastle said that the largest source of plastic ingestion was drinking water, but another huge source is shellfish. And the reason for that is shellfish tend to eat whole so the plastic they goes into their digestive system they consume the whole piece of the plastic then it goes through the digestive system so if you're eating shellfish you're going to be picking up a lot of plastic the average person could be consuming 1,769 particles of plastic every single week and that's just from the amount of water you drink every day and the Environmental Protection Agency says we there are no standards in this country for plastic contamination in drinking water so we've no way of knowing how much plastic contamination is in our drinking water 
because that in itself is a kind of another shocking thing for our own environmental protection agency to admit well sorry we don't have any standards so there can be as much or as little plastic contamination in our drinking water because nobody tests for it because we've we have no standards God, there's something worrying isn't there uh, about that so again it goes back to all of us doing our little bit to try to particularly the single use plastics we've got to move on from the single use plastics and actually I picked up on an idea from one of our listeners a few weeks ago who contacted me to ask, could I put out a shout out? She was trying to buy soap dishes, good old fashioned soap dishes. She didn't want the, she felt the ceramic ones that the plastic, the, the soap goes a bit slimy uh, in it. And she was wondering where could she buy? And she didn't like the plastic ones either because she was moving to soap to try and get away from plastic. And so we were putting a shout out and we got some suggestions in from people as to where she could go for her soap dish. But the reason that she was looking for soap dishes was because she had decided to do her bit on single use plastics. So she was giving up on buying liquid soap and she was going back to what our parents and grandparents did using a bar of soap to wash your hands. So she wanted a bar of soap for the bathroom. She wanted a bar of soap for the kitchen. um, And she was going to stop single-use plastic, just one little thing in her own house, and stop using liquid soap. Because, of course, at the end of the liquid soap, what do you do? You throw away the plastic uh, bottle. So I thought that was good. So I've picked up on that and I've decided, I've looked around the house because the liquid soap does last a long time. So I've decided when all of my liquid soap is gone, we're going to use uh, nothing but bars of soap. So thank you to whoever that listener was. I don't know if a name came in on it. You certainly gave me a good idea to get rid of one single-use plastic. We all do our own little bit. It will all eventually mount up. We're going to speak with... Sam Kingston. Sam is historian and filmmaker and we're speaking to him in advance of the start of his new two-part, I think he'll call it a drama documentary. I'll ask him how exactly he's going to classify this the particular programme. It's Brigade. It starts tonight. This was the one that was shot in West Cork a number of weeks ago. We did a call out for people to come forward to act as volunteers on the programme because they were looking for a group of volunteers to act as part of a flying squadron and they wanted to put them back a 100 years as to what life would have been like in West Cork a 100 years ago when the War of Independence uh, went on. And this this programme that runs over two weeks is going to follow the guys. So they'll be dressed up as they would have been all those 100 years ago and living in barns and on the run and going over the same ground and terrain that their ancestors uh, would have would have those that would have fought in the War of Independence. Now, I don't know. I know they were hoping to try and get some direct descendants of people who would have been part of that West Cork Brigade. And I don't know if they did or not. So we'll speak with uh, Sam and really looking forward to this programme. It airs tonight. So as I'm assuming it's the, tonight and the next Thursday night is the second part of the programme. And then after 11 today, we're going to be looking at a new service that is going to go live in the coming weeks and months here in this country. It's a crisis text line and it basically is there for anyone who finds themselves in a crisis and it'll operate 24-7 but in order for it to operate 24-7 they need a huge amount of volunteers so they're looking for volunteers to come forward so you may have just what it takes to be a volunteer and maybe you're sitting there at the moment thinking you'd like to do some voluntary work haven't quite decided what type of voluntary work you'd like to do and I think 
this particular type of voluntary work is great because you do it from the comfort of your own home. You don't actually have to leave your house so it might actually suit people who have time on their hands but can't travel anywhere, need to be sort of home-based, maybe, you know, small kids or whatever, but would have some time to spare when the children are in bed or when a spouse comes home and or when they're both at home together, one able to look after the, the children and one able to focus on operating the text line. If you think it suits you, tune in after 11 and we'll find out more about this crisis uh, text line. A member of Garda Shikona will join us for this week's uh, Crime Line and then after half past 12 today, Jane Pickett answers all of your pet questions from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital. That and more on the programme. Some people reacting um, to the uh, to the licence fee and uh, Peter's from Cove suggestion that uh, RT take the licence fee away from the older, charge older people, uh, old age pensioners who get a free TV licence. Somebody says, we leave the older people alone, please. They go through enough as it is. And then a number of WhatsApps. Um, are these people having a laugh? Says a WhatsApper. If the government try this with the television licence and try to take it off, take it away from elderly people. I hope everybody comes out and protests on this one. We the people should be and would be out and up in Dublin getting rid of the government. It will never happen. I did mention that yesterday. That just smacked to me of what happened with the old age pensioners when they tried to take the medical card or tried to means test the medical card there was absolute uproar and this all came about because the BBC have decided to scrap the free television licence for the over 70s in the in the United Kingdom and the licence operates differently in that it's the BBC who collects the money and they get all of the money because they're not allowed to take advertising. That's why it's different to the way we operate here in this country. Heidi says, good morning, Patricia. Ben Fogel, who is a BBC staffer, has come out on Sky News this morning to say he's working with Age Action to give one of his salaries from his programmes. God. So they're all paid very well as well. He's going to give one, which is decent enough. He's going to give one of his salaries from his programmes to help old age pensioners that won't be able to pay for their TV licence. It's sad to think that this has been done to our older aged people. We should give them more respect as we have life. We have as we have life, we have as we have life, is it, because of them uh, today. I think that's the point that's been made. And then Catherine, this stays, stays with TV. Catherine says, Patricia, I went home last Saturday night to find my 85-year-old widowed dad, who lives alone, sitting in silence with no TV on. He's hard of hearing, so he doesn't watch a lot of TV, but he always looks forward to watching the Gaelic games. And hence, no Cork game on the TV last weekend. Only, of course, if you have a Sky box, can you watch it. And obviously, this gentleman, hard of hearing, widowed, old age pensioner, living on his own. Can't afford, I'm assuming, to pay for Sky as well. Shame on RTE, says Catherine, but also shame on the GAA. It's like they're all about money. Is this not another slap in the face of our elderly, says uh, Catherine. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. And you've painted such a picture, the poor man. And, you know, when we discussed, because we, we had some people complain on Monday, the fact that the match wasn't on TV and it was the second... Was it the second weekend in a row? There's another match coming up this weekend that's not going to be shown. I think it's the match next weekend is not going to be shown. So it'll be two two Cork matches won't be shown to people who only have t- terrestrial TV. And as you know, as few people said, thank God for the radio and that they can listen to it on the radio. But for some, it's not the same. You know, they like to actually watch it. But for Catherine's dad, the radio isn't an option because the man is is hard of hearing, so he can't 
he you know he won't, wouldn't be able to hear it properly on the radio he's got to be able to watch or he wants to watch it but you paint such a sad sad scene of sitting alone in silence with no TV on bless his heart bless his heart uh, and I can't see the GAA changing they've they, they're into financial arrangements with the likes of Sky and unfortunately that's the way sport has gone isn't it it's it's who can pay the most it's all gone about money all of the other sports it isn't just Gaelic games oh, look at the soccer like tennis every one of them they're all gone down that road when money comes into it it's just it's uh, it's he who can pay the biggest amount uh, will get it which, which is a shame because there will always be people who won't be able to afford and for we genuine fans who'd love to be able to watch it 1850 jump all takes your call Now as I've already mentioned a new study by the environmental charity WWF International they found that the average person is ingesting 5 grams of plastic every week which is the same amount of plastic that's found in a credit card. So, with a step in the right direction, it's great to hear that the Cabinet has approved legislation to ban the use of microplastics in Ireland. Welcoming the news, Labour spokesperson on climate change, Sean Sherlock, uh, who joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. I suppose remind listeners what microplastics are, firstly. Well, microplastics or microbeads are, they're what we call nanoparticles are very minute particles that are used predominantly in the cosmetics industry. So, for instance, on, we'll say, facial scrubs or exfoliants that you might use in the shower and so on. And these are very, very, very small uh, particles that when they go into the water course, they don't biodegrade. In other words, they don't actually uh, break down and what happens is is that they are now going into water courses they're going out to sea effectively and fish life and sea life are ingesting these and they're being found now to be present in you know uh, i think over half of the the sea life uh, you know mammals and fish and so on and so forth and it's coming back into the food chain then so the government's and they're, and they're also in our drinking water because we, we draw our drinking water from rivers and lakes and they're more indeed. at risk of contamination from microplastics. Indeed. So what happens is when the water goes through the, the, the treatment systems, the water treatment systems, because these particles are so small, they are not filtered out, if you will. You know, from the usual detritus, we'll say that's filtered out in the course of cleaning water. And so... They're, that's how they're coming back into the human food chain because they're so small and they don't biodegrade, they don't break down and therefore they, we start to ingest them again. So the government's proposal, which came actually on foot of a bill which Grace O'Sullivan, now MEP, had proposed uh, two years ago, uh, in, in, which didn't pass, which I took up the cudgel on it then because we proposed a bill with some changes to Grace O'Sullivan's bill and my bill was on the Dáil agenda up until February of this year, uh, whereupon we managed to get a commitment out of the government, out of Owen Murphy, Minister, Minister Owen Murphy, to say that, look, the government will publish its bill. I sat down with the officials in his department, I sat down with him, and we, you know, tested their bill, and it, it passes muster. Now what we need to do is to ensure that we see the legislation on the floor of the Dáil, and I look forward to that, and having it scrutinised in committee, such that we can take these nanoparticles, these microparticles out of circulation altogether. But it doesn't address 
the bigger picture in respect of the use of single-use plastics because you only have to go to any beach and notwithstanding, you know, the, the Clean Coasts initiatives in East Cork and, you know, the Valnamona people there, you know, doing an excellent job, we're still seeing too much plastic being washed up on beaches throughout uh, throughout Ireland. And we had, in the course of committee deliberations on, on my bill, we had people, witnesses in from NUI Galway, who were showing us that, you know, the more and more uh, bigger particles of plastic are washing up on beaches now. And, and, and I suppose there is evidence that the, the link between the amount of plastics that we consume you know, in our everyday lives, in terms of shopping habits, in terms of the food products that we buy, that, you know, not all of that has been captured by recycling or by landfill. And some of that then is finding itself, you know, in the oceans. And you only have to go to certain parts of the globe where you see, you know, masses and masses of these buildups of single-use plastics like plastic bottles. You know, and we only have to look at your your household products to see just how much plastic we consume on a, a weekly basis or a monthly basis and, and a lot of this seems to end up you know in the oceans and it's ingested then by sea life and mammals you know and then so, back, back, in, back into the food chain and on the microplastics um, Sean uh, is there are, is, are there bans in place in other European countries? Are, are we behind the mark on this one? Well, the UK have legislated for this, and the European Commission, as I understand it, is about to legislate for this as well. Uh, so I do know that the UK have have legislated for this. I'm not sure. I I, I just don't have the names of the other countries yeah. to hand, but there are other countries who have legislated for this. So, but not every European country has legislated for it. So, it, it's to answer your question, we're 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 behind the mark because it's such a serious issue and we're a maritime nation, if you will, we're an island nation. Um, so, but the fact that we're legislating for it now, I think it's coming at the right time. The cosmetic industry representatives will tell you that, you know, they've weeded out 97% of these microbeads, you know, from their products. I'm not convinced of that argument, to be frank about it. I think there's more analysis needed of that argument. But the main thing here is that I think we... And all of us as consumers, I think, have to be conscious about the products that we're consuming. Because you, you go into a supermarket, you pick up a shower gel, you know, you, you're not necessarily reading the label. A shower gel is a shower gel. But, mm. you know, there may be, uh, you know, microplastics contained in that. And, you know, they're not going to say microplastics. But I think we have to be more conscious, I think, as consumers about what the contents of of cosmetics are and, and their permutations then. But for yeah, but particularly when you look at that World Wildlife uh, Fund saying, you know, the amount of pl- particles of plastic that's been found in our drinking water and then the Environmental Protection Agency coming out and said, there's no standards for plastic contamination in drinking water supplies in Ireland. So we've no way of knowing for sure how much plastic is in our water. I- I- exactly. And we, we you, you, the local authorities, uh, the legislation is the European uh, Water Framework Directive, which... Uh, sets out a standard for, uh, you know, the, the potable water or the water that you consume. And so there are certain standards and not built into that is, 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 the, is the plastic content. So we don't know is the answer to your question, and you're, you're absolutely right in that assertion. And I think what we need to do, this is why we need legislation like this. I think we, we need to work with companies, organisations like Repack, for instance, who look at the whole packaging sector in Ireland. We need stronger regulation in relation to you know the the public health elements of this because we don't know what the long term impacts of this mm. are going to be i mean if we're if we're eating fish now whereby 
on a nanoparticle or microparticle level there is plastic. We don't know what the long-term impacts of ingesting plastic in the human food chain is going to be or what the health consequences of that are going to be. Absolutely. So, so this is the first step, but we've a long way to go. Yeah, but I, yeah and and and, it's, and everyone has to play their play their role as well. Uh, Lister says, I know Little in Bantry. I think this is Little Nationwide. They have a place where you, uh, as you leave the shop, with bins where you can put your plastic packaging in good, if yeah. you don't wish uh, to take to take it home. Okay, we leave it there. Uh, Sean, thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks for joining us. Uh, that is uh, Labour Doll Deputy Sean uh, Sherlock, who is also their spokesperson on climate change. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Tonight, the first episode of Brigade will be broadcast on RTE1 TV. The two-part series is the brainchild of Clonakilty filmmaker and historian Sam Kingston. And the programme explores the story of the 3rd Cork Brigade of the IRA during the War of Independence. And as I say, Sam Kingston joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Sam. Morning, Patricia. How's it going? Uh, I'm, I'm doing very well. You're welcome to the programme. Can you firstly outline the format of the programme? Because you've got two different groups involved. Yes, so exactly. So we, we have two strands in the documentary. So, so the main strand is our 12 volunteers, the one I was talking about back in February. So what, what we did there is we, we, we got 12 volunteers from around West Cork. We, and we took them away and we trained them like around West Cork for a week. So we were down in Kilbritton, we were in Kilmichael, we were in the back of Inneskeen as well. So that's, that's kind of the main focus of the documentary, is following their journey of what it was like to actually be in a flying column back in 1920. So that's the main focus. And then our second strand then is a group of Essex students. So like the like the, the regiment that were based in West Cork was the Essex Regiment. So what we did is we got the, some students from the University of Essex to come over and, and find out the stories of what, what the Essex did and find out the stories of what the GRA were, were doing in West Cork back in, in, in 1920. And so... Were these so history kind of, students aware... Exactly. Were they oh, aware sorry, of the Essex Regiment and what no, they had... They were slightly aware, like, they knew what the Black and Tans were, but they didn't really know what the Essex Regiment had done over here. Like, it's not really taught in the British schools. So, like, it was kind of eye-opening for them to find out what, what the British were doing over here 100 years ago. So, and what were they doing? <laughs> we're just there, so... They're burning houses. They're taking pot shots at farmers in fields. Like they're torturing people. So they were a nasty bunch. A nasty bunch of people. All right. So like the, the ethics were 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 really the worst uh, yeah. in the country. I would think. Like, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. So. And it was unfortunate on the on the people of of West Cork. Okay. Go back to my to the twelve volunteers. Um. You you'd put the call out, and we had you on the program, putting the shout out for people to come forward. Uh. Did you get a good response? We did, we did. So overall, we got about 90 responses, like oh. by email and calls, or whatever. And then on the day itself, we had about 60 people turn up. Yeah. So like, like we we were very happy with that. And then we, we, we what we started doing then was like we started off with with our kind of exercise, like like physical training to make sure that the lads could actually uh, actually last the week of, of of the training. Like there was a lot of marching and drilling and so on for the week. So we we just needed to find guys that could actually last that pace for the week. So. That whittled down to about half of the half of the of the sixty then, and what we did then was an interview process. So like the, with the interview process, then we're kind of finding out why these guys actually wanted to do it, like you know, which is kind of important to us. Like it wasn't like uh, like uh, like the reasons had to be real, like you know. So yeah. We didn't want anyone there just who, who wanted to be, be 
become famous or whatever like you know these guys needed to really want to be in the in the flying column so and uh, I, th- I, think, I think that came across like it'll come across in the documentary tonight as well like the guys that the 12 guys that we picked are there because they want to be there like you know. did you manage to get any direct descendants yeah one of the guys uh, he's a young like uh, Owen Sexton he, he, he's from Barry Row his great grandfather was actually in the IRA and there's a few other guys that had kind of more distant like you know great grand uncles or, or whatnot. Uh, and uh, like like there was one guy who was a distant relation of Flyer Nine, I believe, as well. So th- th- there's a couple of guys in there, right, that were uh, had actual connections back to the original IRA as well. Yeah, and I'm assuming, therefore, they would have grown up hearing stories. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's so. Uh, and like the and the uh, yeah, like oh, but all all of them would would have heard the stories, right, from from different people in their neighbourhoods as well, like you know, and, and, so, and obviously at school. And are they yeah. all are they all West Cork lads? Most of them are like like some of them would be just outside the West Cork area, I suppose. Like just outside the actual West Cork area, like you no, know, the Third Cork Brigade. Like some of them might just be in the bones of the city, maybe. Yeah. But like most of them are very, very keen on the story, like you know. Yeah. So, so. And an age group. Yeah, like the between eighteen and thirty is the, the age group profile we're looking for. And that's really what we got. Like there might be one or two that might be slightly over 30 but uh, that's what we got like you know most of our, our young lads in their early 20s like Was it a tough week? Uh, well I, I suppose lads would kind of that better than I can now because uh, I, I was there watching them I suppose but uh, I, I think they it was tough but, but they really enjoyed it though like uh, and again I, I think that would come across as well like they, they like they're a really good group of lads like you know and the, the 12 of them really bonded together over that week like so because they're actually still in touch with each other like, on a WhatsApp group and everything like you know so. and what was was the weather kind to you for the week that you were filming for, for, yeah for, for February like we couldn't complain really like I, I think like it actually stayed dry for most of the week like, <laughs> you know so, so yeah for February because you're, you're kind of you know, so. you're kind of looking like if you decide to film it this week could they have been drowned exactly, exactly yeah if we're looking for a summer filming then we'd actually be yeah it was actually better in February like you know so and I've seen, uh, and I think a lot of people have seen clips, trailers on, on the TV. They, they're they're dressed in the part. Yes, exactly, exactly. So the, that was the whole idea: is they take them back to nineteen twenty as much as we could. Like you know, there there are obviously elements where, like it is obviously nineteen like it's twenty nineteen now. So there are obviously elements of the, the modern day in the background that we couldn't avoid. Like we we, we were up in Nahalan, which is a training place for for the original IRA, but that's a modern working farm as well. You see, so. So there are little elements of, of of today in the background which people would probably be annoyed about. Like I know, but you couldn't uh, do anything about that. They, there's nothing yeah. we could do. Like, yeah. like the most important thing to us is that we're actually in the original places. You see, like you know, and like uh, we didn't want to be faking that. Like like the, like it's, a, it's still a modern year, so uh, like like it's, it's like it, it just was unavoidable for us that, with, with certain things like. And the young history students who came from Essex University. Did yeah. you you took them around to all of the various sites? Did they get to talk to any direct descendants? They were to, yeah. Well, they, they, they met Dermot Begley. Dermot would be the, the sort of floor Begley, like so, like who was very much involved with it with the IRA, like so. Um, and yeah, we 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 met Joan Deneen, whose uncle was actually killed, killed Michael. So there was plenty of people that they met where had had had, had those connections as well, like. Mm. And are you pleased with the way it's t- the end result? 
Oh, very much so. Very much so. Like, like, and I hope other people will be will, will be happy with it now as well. Like, it's a different kind of take on the history, I suppose. Like, you know, and kind of get an idea of what it's actually like to be in the flying column. Like, so. Well, it brings yeah. history to life, which is exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, and we still get little bits of the history out there as well. Like, you know, it's not like a. So hopefully, yeah, like it's bringing it to life is what I wanted to do. Like, you know, I, I, I think we achieved that. All right. I struggled, Sam, as to how to describe it. Is is it a drama documentary? Is that a drama documentary? Yeah, doc- yeah. I, I, I just call it like, it's living history documentary is what I would call living it. Living history like, documentary, are, like there that. There are elements of reenactments in there as well, you see. So like, uh, you, you're, you wouldn't be wrong in calling it that either, like, you know. So okay. it's, it's, uh, it's a hard one to categorise, I suppose. Like. So it's tonight at 10.15. Yeah, and and next Thursday as well. Like this- it's a two-parter, so it's it's nice. It's the first part. Uh, it's kind of the, the kind of the early kind of training, and then all the all the Michael stuff is in episode two. Then next Thursday, night. okay. Somebody says good luck to Sam. Really looking forward to the program. Just disappointed that it's on so late. Should it not be on earlier so that uh, children can see uh, it? Yeah, so I, I know that that's what RT decided. So that there isn't too much I can do about that, unfortunately. But. Uh, it would be nice if it was on a bit earlier, all right. But uh, that's but this is the stuff that that RT put their documentaries into now, like you see. Yeah. So and can I say there's a record button on most TVs? Uh, record. That, that is like uh, these days there are. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be on the RT player straight There's, after the there's loads, there's well, loads like, of, you know, of ways so. to... Listen, I am really looking forward to it, uh, Sam. Uh, congratulations in advance. What's your next project? Uh, well, the, the next one I'm working on now is on the double, like the Cork 1990 double. So um, I'm working on that with a company in Ballincollig, uh, uh, AV3 Media. So we're, we're hoping to get funding for that in September, October. And that would hopefully be on next year because it's the 30th anniversary of the double next year, yeah. you see. So, uh, so hopefully we get the funding for that and we, we yeah. can make a document It's, it's that, a constant but. struggle for filmmakers, isn't it, to, try, oh, to get uh, the funding? It's very, yeah. it's very hard to get funding. Like, it's very hard to get funding. Like the... Yeah, it was actually surprising. Well, well, I suppose that's surprising because the, with the brigade, we 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 got the funding straight away. But I suppose the idea was just that just so strong that the the, the funders kind of went, yes, here here you go. But yeah, Cork County Council got didn't they help out on funding we, for the brigade? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we were talking to Conor Nelligan there, and he he gave us a, like a. Like a some funds as well to help us with, with, with the documentary as well. Great so. stuff. Well, once again, congratulations. As I say, we are looking forward to it, uh, Sam, and thanks for joining us on the programme. No problem. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. 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 Sam Bye-bye. Kingston there, historian and filmmaker from Clonakilty in advance of first episode of that Living History documentary tonight, uh, quarter past ten on RTE, The Brigade. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your calls coming into the programme on a variety of different uh, issues. I just did a WhatsApp in say, Patricia, would you get JP, please, to get on to the councillor to the Tidy Towns Group in Formoy. The dog poo bin on the Pike Road in Formoy is overflowing. The bin is at the entrance of Rath Carry. Now, John Paul is working on it as we speak, but the, the description of the dog poo bin being overflowing. Firstly, it's great that people are using it and we're always and actively encouraging people when they take their dogs for a walk to bring their poop scoop or their plastic bags with them and then to dispose of it responsibly. And we will often get listeners call in dog owners saying we want to be responsible but what do you expect us to carry the poo around with us and my answer is well yes if you have a dog and you do carry it around with them until you find a bin but the criticism always is we, that the council need to provide more of these 
dog poo bins. And I think I'm open to correction, but I think it's the local tidy towns groups who actually put them up. It normally is. But anyway, uh, and there's the argument that we don't have enough of them. That If you go to other countries, the reason that they don't have the same problem with dog fouling is that there's enough of these bins around. We don't provide enough. But then the ones that we do provide, you know, they've got to be emptied and regularly emptied in order to encourage others to continue when they're out with their dog that they will dispose responsibly. So we're working on that for that listener. There's no name on that text. And then we've had some worrying calls in from farmers in the Castletown Roach uh, area and then we've picked it up. It's making today's Avenue newspaper sad, sad news that Dairy Gold in Castletown Roach has closed their branch. Uh, one farmer says to us this is a big blow for the local community. For many, you can go there... This is outside of the farming community. Householders can go there, grab a bag of coal for farmers. The animal feed can be purchased there without have to, having to travel to Mallow or Formoy, which is what farmers locally in the area will now have to do. Someone else is pointing out that the annual plastic plastic collection for farmers always takes place at the Castletown Roach branch. It will now mean in the future that farmers will be expected to travel to Mallow or to uh, Formoy and people are very, very disappointed. Now I don't know as to the reasoning behind it and we're seeing if we can get somebody to talk on uh, that but very disappointing news for Castletown Roach and can I say for the workers do we know what's happening with the workers? We'll see if we can find out more about that. And then Mary and Connor Kilty was on to us. She's a bit annoyed today. She's a public health working in the Clonakilty area and she said this morning a video went up on Minister Jim Daly's Facebook page and it was to do with Jim talking about the Clonakilty Primary Health Care Centre which is under construction now. We had Minister Jim Daly on the programme yesterday talking about the Fair Deal scheme for farmers and small business owners. Haven't seen this video but I have seen Jim Daly's Facebook page and he like a lot of other politicians are using social media. They'll put up little videos just to say what's going on and to update people you know, and, and, and they work really well. So this obviously is a little video that Jim has done to say look Clonakilty Primary Health Care Centre under construction. Good news for the area. But Mary is a public health nurse. What she's annoyed about is that Jim mentions what services are going to be going on within the centre. But with all of the services, he never once mentioned nurses. She points out, you need a nurse at the start of your life and you'll need a nurse at the end of your life. She said a lot of the staff at the HSC offices locally do not know what is happening. So she said, we the nurses would like to be mentioned like other health professionals, uh, but also local staff would like to know if everybody is moving into the centre. And usually that is what happens when, because a lot of money is invested into these primary health care centres and exactly as the name suggests, it's a primary health care centre. So anybody involved in primary health care would be based in that centre. And of course, you would assume that certainly all of the public health uh, nurses and a lot of the HSE staff uh, as well. OK, I'm assuming because it was John Paul took that call, I'm assuming he's already on to Jim Daly's office just to, and as I say, I haven't seen the video whether it was just an off-the-cuff piece that Jim did and he forgot to mention nurses. I don't know. But Marion Clon certainly not a happy camper about it for sure. 1850 333 Now some of your texts and calls coming in on still getting reaction on the fact that the BBC is scrapping the free TV licence for old age pensioners and should RTE follow suit that argument Patricia get rid of RTE it's criminal the wages that they are the staff are getting and uh, I, I don't find it much 
of much use. Ger Infomoy says, uh, Patricia, with the, if RTE stopped paying the huge amount of money to their presenters, the station would have plenty of money to give to the viewers and make better programmes. That's from Ger Infomoy. And that's the argument that's been forwarded about the BBC as well. The BBC are doing it to get more money in because they, they don't take ads. They can only take the money from the TV licence. And that's one of the arguments that's been put forward in the UK. They pay their staff uh, too much. Ger feels it's the same here in Ireland. And then a Douglas listener says, Patricia, don't worry about that programme Brigade on RTE that you spoke about in the last hour being on too late. Knowing RTE, it'll be repeated dozens of times uh, anyway. That's uh, in from Douglas listener. Some calls into John Paul uh, on it. John and Cove says, Patricia is standing up for old age pensioners. I am and I, and I don't in any way apologise. I'll always stand up for old age pensioners. I think the, the old age pensioners have worked long and hard in this country and when they get in as I say in the autumn of their years they deserve to be looked after so I I make no apologies and I never John will make an apology for standing up for old age pensioners anyway uh, John thinks I'm standing up too much and he says during a time of crisis wasn't it the old age pensioners that were left alone they didn't see a cut as the other people in social welfare did. I think the weekly pension needs to be cut down, says John. I take it you're not an old age pensioner, John. He also says take away the free television licence. He would also get rid of the allowances they have for phones and electricity. Can I tell you, John, they don't have a phone allowance anymore that was taken off them many, many years ago. They do have a very small electricity allowance, but it is very small. Anyway, John says there's a lot more younger people struggling than the old age pensioners and he feels that they deserve to have more uh, cuts. Well, I think you're wrong. You're, you're entitled to your opinion, John and Cove, but I think you are wrong. Mary Amara says, I've worked long and hard enough for my free TV licence once a year. I paid all of my taxes during all of my working life. Also, if public television services like RTE get more money, it'll just go to the big name presenters. And then Derek in Glanmire. This was on the text that I got in and I thought it, the lady painted a very sad and a lonely text of her elderly widowed father living on his own. And she went to call to see him and he was sitting there with the, the TV off, hard of hearing. And he was very disappointed because the match wasn't on the TV and he can't listen to the radio because he's so hard of hearing. He can't hear it properly. He likes to watch it. and There's very little on the TV that he can watch and very, very, and she was very disappointed with RTE and very disappointed with the GAA. Derek Inglamire picks up on that story and says people are wrong to be blaming the TV channels like the likes of RTE and R uh, Sky for not showing a particular game. At the end of the day, it's the GAA who signed the agreements with the different television providers to show the game and it's the GAA then decide based on I suppose the highest bidder who will get what match so while Sky showed the court game last weekend they paid for it and so they have every right to show it but because they showed it then RTE were not allowed to show, show it so unfair to blame RTE blame the GAA don't blame the TV companies says Derek in Glanmire. The GAA have grassroots right across the country and they're making big money by selling on the games to the TV companies. I just hope the money that they get works its way down into uh, grassroots and uh, so say all of us. John, thank you for that. The listener says there are scam calls on landlines regarding your internet during the rounds at the moment. It's the call 
they, they tweaked this around a little bit but the one that this listener received was telling you that the internet was going to be switched off sounds like an automated message just hang up listener says I did contact my phone and internet provider they confirmed to me that yes it is a scam uh, so please do not entertain them and can you warn people that the the scam is doing the rounds at the moment okay there's a lot of those I don't think we're, we're ever going to see or, or get to the end uh, of it 1850 John Paul taking your course text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs and a Vodafone salesperson is wanted. You need to have a knowledge of phones, be familiar with IT skills and good with customers dealing with issues and resolving problems. A minibus driver is wanted. You must have a D licence, CPC driver's card and guard the vetting for uh, bus airing would be an advantage. Fastnet is recruiting for multiple operator roles with global life science companies they're based in the wider Cork area and a staff nurse is wanted in a well-established North Cork nursing home. You'll find all the job details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. And just to tell you the story we were, we've been getting calls in about this is the Dairy Gold store closing in Castletown Roach and people are very upset about it and I was saying what about the staff I've just been told that the staff have all been redeployed to other stores so at least that's a little bit of good news out of that story and I know it's causing a lot of upset locally but at least it's good to hear that the staff uh, haven't lost their jobs they are being redeployed now crisis text line is a free 24-7 confidential messaging service for people People in crisis that is due to launch in the coming weeks to discuss the service and to put a shout out for volunteers. I'm joined by Ian Power, who's CEO of Crisis Text uh, Ireland. Uh, good morning to you, Ian. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, I've seen online that this crisis text line operates in other countries. Can you just explain how it works? Sure. So uh, what we know uh, from our existing service, spunout.ie, is that young people love um, digital means of communication. We know that they prefer that to picking up the phone and ringing uh, people. So we noticed that there was a lot of young people on our site late at night looking for support, looking at crisis content and mental health content. And we looked around the world and we said, surely there's a service that is is providing a real-time response to these young people um, in another country. And we found Crisis Text Line in the US. They've been operating for about six years. They launched in Canada last year and also in the UK uh, in recent weeks as well. So um, we noticed that the service that they were offering was really superb. It was best-in-class technology and really clever. So we said, we don't want to reinvent the wheel here. So we started a conversation with them and they've licensed the technology to us free so that we can provide this service here in Ireland. And then the HSC have agreed to fund the staff to be able to run the service. Well done. So yeah, so it's it's a really exciting um, opportunity. Explain then, what you mean by really clever technology. How does it work? Yeah, so um, obviously if you ring, uh, you pick up the phone to, to ring a helpline or to ring a customer service line, you're in a queue um, and there's no way to know what you're calling about. Um, what, what happens with this service is that young people text into the number and they get a, a quick auto response that says like, what's going on for you essentially? And what happens is that young people are really confident in text as a medium. So they jump into that text message that they send us back and they tell us everything that's going on for them. So they don't beat around the bush like they might on the phone. They get straight to the to the point. And what our algorithm then is able to do is scan that for keywords that have previously indicated suicidal or, you know, severe kind of mental distress. Wow. And we're, we're able to then put those people 
to, you know, up high and top in the queue so that we go to those people uh, first um, and we, we try to support those young people first. And then, you know, so we do that within a minute and we aim to get to everybody within five minutes. So it's not the case. That's that clever. That's, yeah. that's very yeah. clever technology. And I think as well, because people are texting, there's almost an anonymity about texting. People open up more, don't they, on a, on a text than they would even do? Because I know when you when you talk to these people on the helplines, you know they talk about the silent calls. People have oh, I'll ring and then oh I can't say anything. It seems to be easier to type out something. Absolutely, and I mean it's completely private. And um, you know nobody knows your name unless you volunteer your name. Um, and obviously your phone number is hidden by the system, so nobody in the in the service sees your phone number and all that. So you know it's a really private medium. And what we find as well is that people really like it. For instance, in circumstances maybe where you're being bullied at school, and obviously you can't go and make a phone call. You know, whereas you're able to take out your phone and start texting. Particularly for people who might be in a domestic violence situation where they really can't pick up the phone to talk to somebody because yeah. they might be overheard. This is a medium that allows them to get in touch with somebody and to talk to somebody. Um, and what we're working with uh, the telecom companies to do is to make sure that it doesn't show up on your phone bill as well. Um, so, so there's lots of kind of really clear advantages to this means of, of communication, not least the fact that young people themselves prefer it. So we did a survey in advance of kind of getting this uh, service up and running. And, you know, 46% of all respondents said they would prefer, you know, uh, a, a text or an instant message type of service versus 14% on the phone and 8% of email. And what was really interesting to us in that survey was about 30% said they wouldn't reach out. And so once the service is up and running, we're going to be really interested in that 30% and, and trying to figure out if they were in a crisis, how could we encourage them to get in touch with, with a service like ours? And it was really interesting, young guys in particular over-indexed over in that kind of 30% population. So we're really going to be looking to communications campaigns to get younger guys to, to be reaching out and, and talking about their mental health. What age group are you pitching it at, Ian? Yeah, so we're pitching it at 16 to 34s. So, okay. we, you know, we know that there's amazing services like Childline already who work with those kind of younger children and teens. Um, and we're not looking to kind of replicate their service because they do have an online service. But we, we do know that the older age group, you know, who have been growing up with mobile phones and, and digital technology are not served in this way. And so that's why, you know, when we were looking at our service and the, the sister service to crisistextlinespunout.ie, our age group is 16 to 25 and that's where we saw the need you know um, that's a population of young people that really don't have that many services whatever about under 18 certainly that kind of age group is kind of forgotten about so you know fair play to the HSC for coming on board and funding this service recognising that you know we can do more for our 16 to 34s but look anybody can text you know it, it's we're not we will not turn anybody away yeah. whatever yeah. age it just so happens that in the US 75% of text are under 25. That's the age group, yeah, and that's yeah. the age group that's going to use it. So when somebody then is in crisis, they reach out, they send the text, you pick up on it, one of your volunteers, you then what? You stay with that person through text? Yeah, so what happens is there's five stages to the conversation. So obviously there's building the initial rapport with the texter. Then we're kind of looking to see, like, why is the texter getting in touch? Like, what's going on for them? Um, then what we'll do is we'll look at kind of goal setting. So, like, why is the texter texting us? What do they want to achieve from the conversation with the person that they're talking to, the volunteer? Then we look at problem solving. So we're kind of looking at some of the things that might work for that young person to keep them safe. Um, we might be looking at signposting the 
them to services that they might not have heard of before. Um, and then we're looking to end the conversation. So this is not a service that's replacing anything else. It's, it's just a service that we're hoping will be the front line and be something that people can reach out to to find out a, you know, to have somebody to listen to them uh, firstly, but also then to find out about other services that might be help, able to help them in a more sustainable way over time, you know. Now, in order for this to be a success, you need the volunteers. How many, ideally, how many volunteers do you need to, to operate the service? Yeah, so we're looking for 300 at the moment. Obviously, the more volunteers we have, the more widely we can advertise the service. Um, but we're looking for 300 at the moment. Um, and so we'd really love people to consider applying. Um, really, what we're looking for is people who are able to listen uh, really well, um, you know, that are non-judgmental, that will not try to fix people's problems, but allow people to just speak and be heard, because that's all people in crisis want, really. They, mm-hmm. you know, they don't need somebody telling them what to do. They just want somebody who's able to listen and hear what's going on for them. Um, so we're really looking for, for people who might have those uh, skill sets and who might feel like it, this is something that they would like to do and be good at. Um, particularly like what we found in the applications that we've received so far is that lots of people are looking for something meaningful to do um, in the evenings or whenever they have free time, you know, because sometimes maybe our jobs don't necessarily give us that sense of satisfaction and this is an opportunity for a few hours a week to do something where you're having a really serious impact on others and so um, we're really excited uh, to see so many applications coming through but right. as I said we really do need as many as possible to be able to get the service up and running. And training? Yeah so training is really cool in that it's all online so you do a 30 hour training over six weeks um, and you can do it at your own pace so you can do it whenever you have free time to, to do it. So it's not something where you have to turn up to somewhere, you know, for, for an actual workshop or that whatever. That will suit it, people. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it mirrors essentially how you volunteer with us too in that you do, what we ask is once you've gone through the training, we ask you to do four hours a week for a year. And just that is the, the, the commitment we ask of people. And what you can do is you can do that in two two-hour blocks or you can do it in a four-hour block. But you can do it at different times every week. You don't have to do the same hours every week. So that's really flexible for people. So often volunteering opportunities mean you have to be at the same place at the same yeah, time every yeah. week. And that's difficult for people. You know, lives are busy, whereas this is much more flexible. And the other thing about it is that you log into the platform to, to speak to the texters from wherever you want. So from home, from the office, wherever you can do it privately. So again, that's really advantageous for people because you just don't, you don't have to go anywhere. And even in the US, one of the really um, interesting things is lots of people who have physical disabilities who can't get out of the house but want to be doing something have volunteered with the service because it's such a flexible, you know, kind of volunteering opportunity. So really, we do think it's going to hopefully revolutionise volunteering in Ireland as well because we think it's the first type of opportunity like this that you can do from anywhere. And did you say it's 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 HSE funded, is it? Yeah, 100%. So okay. they've come on board to fund it uh, 100%, which is amazing. Right. Um, and it's a recommendation from um, the National Youth Mental Health Task Force that reported um, about 18 months ago. Um, we were members of that as spunout.ie. Um, the minister asked us to take part in and support the work of that. And one of the recommendations we made to them was, look, this is what's happening for young people. This is where they are on our site between 8pm and 2am. And that's really when we need our volunteers too, so that, that 
you know, we can serve those young people at those times. And thankfully, you know, the government listened and they included it as a recommendation in the report. And then ultimately the HSC said they, they would want it. So, you know, we're really grateful to them for providing this support because certainly there's lots of issues. You know, there's shortages of, of clinicians in other services and we can't hire people because there's no one available and all that sort of thing. But this is a really good news story in that, you know, we're, we're going to be able to help people in those moments and hopefully keep people safe. And when you, when you look to the other countries, as you say, this model works so so successfully. Have the volunteers said what they get from what they get out of it? Absolutely. So, like in the US, it's been operating for six years, and um, I was over there uh, recently talking to some of the the volunteers and supervisors there, and like the the they all say that they get way more out of it than they put into it. You know that they really they benefit so much in that you get a real sense of satisfaction. Obviously, there's really difficult conversations, you know, absolutely, um, as part of the experience. But then there's there's those conversations that are, are really, um, you know, impactful in someone's life that really help them to kind of um, see things from a new perspective, perhaps, or, you know, identify things that they hadn't identified before. And so, like, for us, that's just an amazing feeling for our volunteers to have. So they do get a lot out of it. Also, what they say to us is that actually the training itself, when and it teaches you to listen and not necessarily be fixing people's problems. That's really beneficial in people's personal lives. You know, mm. I think we can all be better listeners. Mm. So, um, you know, so I think that that's one of the other benefits to volunteering with the service as well. Yeah, yeah. And any any time anyone volunteers, they'll always say that that they get more more out than they actually uh, put in. And interesting Absolutely. when you say like some of the calls, uh, some of the texts will be uh, difficult. I'm assuming there will be help and support for the volunteers as well. Yeah, what's amazing about the service is that so obviously the volunteers help us to reach lots and lots of people more than we could do if we tried to hire, uh, you know, and we obviously couldn't because we wouldn't have the, the money or the budget to be able to hire loads and loads of people to do the texting. But what we do have is a small team of clinically trained people who are supporting the volunteers right. in the platform at all times. So these people have social work backgrounds and mental health nursing backgrounds and they're available all the time to the volunteers and they're quality assuring the conversations in real time. So they're looking to see what the volunteers are saying and um, just to, to kind of make sure that the volunteers are supported but also kind of just to make sure that everything is going well and if somebody is you know at imminent risk so if someone is is um, in, in your serious distress the volunteer is able to escalate that then to the supervisor in real time and the supervisor is able to kind of figure out well do we need to contact the emergency services etc so there's a real kind of benefit to, to the fact that the service has that two tiers to it it has the volunteers who are able to listen in a peer-to-peer way and that's a really powerful way to do a service and then also then you have that piece above it then which means that the volunteers are supported at all times by people who know what they're doing. Okay it sounds like an absolutely wonderful service. When do you hope that it will go live uh, Ian? Yeah, so we're hoping that we'll have enough volunteers to go live in August uh, with a very soft launch. So we're hoping to work with, we, we've agreed partnerships with a few organisations with populations of young people we know have high need, um, like LGBTI young people and, and traveller young people. And we'll also be advertising it slowly on our own website, spunout.ie, on our sister website. Um, but really, we need those volunteers. So if there's anybody out there who's interested in volunteering, you can check out crisistextline.ie. Um, and that has all the information about it so you can figure out kind of if it's for you and it also has the application form so you can start to, to fill that out and send it in to us and we'll be in touch about the training over the next week or so. Okay, I have a feeling we'll be speaking again, Ian. Listen, Absolutely. well done. It's, it's terrific. Good luck thanks with it. So much. And thanks for taking time out to talk to us today.
Take care. Good morning to you. That is Ian Power, who is the CEO of Crisis Text Line uh, Ireland. As I say, I just have a feeling it's one of those services that we'll be hearing about. And every year they'll, they'll do an annual report, a little bit like Childline does, and they'll talk about increasing costs. I think that is really going to take off. And hopefully it'll be able to help people and people in crisis and help young people in crisis. We have too, mu- too many lives and families have been devastated by young people taking their own life and, and when they felt they have nowhere nowhere to go no one to reach out to so this this will this will save lives and it will change people's lives uh, completely so if you want to be a volunteer uh, take a look at crisistextline.ie and I was on their website yesterday and their training really does sound uh, like grade A training It'll, you'll get a huge huge benefit uh, out of it good luck to anybody listening who does decide to go forward as a volunteer 1850 103 John Paul taking your calls now we haven't done our free uh, ticket Thursday shout out yet we give you a cue to text and you only text then so any other text or WhatsApp before that doesn't get included it's from when we give the shout out the cue to text uh, it's then you start texting or WhatsApp and then we'll call one of the listeners back they'll answer a very simple live of the marquee question and you could win for yourself a pair of tickets to go see the wonderful Chris Christophe when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And live at the Marquee. When is he playing live at the Marquee? Sunday, June 23rd. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And I mentioned earlier because we were getting calls in about this, the closure of the Dairy Gold branch in Castletown Roche causing huge upset uh, locally. Billy Cotter, who is the PRO of the North Cork IFA, will talk to us after midday today about the closure of the Dairy Gold branch in uh, Castletown Roche. So we will be getting to that issue, but it will be after 12. Now I'm going to go to from Moygather Station where Sergeant John Kelly uh, joins us for this week's Crime File. Uh, good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to Thank the programme. Thank you very much. We start with a burglary in Cecilstown. Yes, uh, last Thursday, Patricia, again, the house was vacant between 12 noon and uh, 7 o'clock that, e- that evening um, in Cecilstown. Now, they, 
the house was secured. They came back to find the sitting room window had been forced and the house entered. Um, uh, and a sum of cash and some other items were taken from the house. But we'd ask people if they can cast their mind back to uh, last Thursday, if they were in the area of Cecilstown, um, did they see anything unusual? Did they see a car with maybe, uh, we don't know, was it a car or a van? Or did they see any car van acting suspiciously, two or three people in it? Um, maybe somebody, you, you know, put it in as a number on their mobile phone. Uh, maybe somebody even photographed a number plate. Maybe somebody has a, has a dash cam. And if they have a dash cam that goes back to seven days, and if they did pass down Cecilstown, if they wouldn't mind, you know, having a having a look back. Some people like to like to re- review incidents um, if they have them. Um, like dash cams are becoming more and more a feature in in cars, you know. Um, so again, that's Cecilstown. It's last Thursday, and, and that's one of the things you advise people to do. We all have cameras on our phones now. It's so easy to take a very quick picture without anybody noticing it if you're suspicious of any car just take a quick photograph it may be absolutely nothing but it could just be something exactly you, you find you, out you, afterwards you need, you, you need only look at the front of the Irish examiner this morning to see how a discreet photograph can be taken you know yeah that's the one of the, the drugs taking on, yes. the, on the train yeah, yes. yeah. You know, and it so can be done very discreetly you don't have to confront anyone no, in a car no, no, uh, but if no. you see something that you know outside your neighbour's house you think that car isn't normally there what's going on the neighbours are away just a quick photograph. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you, you know, if you just remember the number as well, you know, and just put it in as a dialed number, you know, put it yeah. in your phone. Just yeah, yeah. there are loads of ways to do it's it. Yeah. Loads, loads of ways. So maybe okay. somebody has something on their dash cam and if they have a chance maybe to And look, the date again, um, The John? date again is last Thursday. This day last this week, day, okay. Yeah, this day last week between now, 12 noon and... Uh, uh, seven o'clock. Okay. And uh, so, if uh, just if anyone has anything, Mallow um, Garda Station. That's zero two 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 one one zero five. Now, a break into a car on at Main Street in Busman. Main Street, is... Charleville, uh, and 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 this this was to a couple of visitors to our country. You oh. know, a couple of tourists. Um, obviously, uh, they're they're. It would have disrupted uh, some of their holiday plans. I'd say uh, last Saturday, uh, visiting tourists. Um, saw t- two males break into the car and take property from it. The car made off in the direction of Limerick. It was literally all over in, in a couple of minutes, about 20 past two in the afternoon um, on last Saturday. That's last and this Saturday is a, on Main Street in Charleville? Yes, yeah. But that's now, a busy street. Busy street, but I saw one a couple of weeks ago outside... Um, Outside the graveyard in Killa, the Cork Waterford Road is passing directly outside it, and uh, a case obviously somebody pulled up, just smashed in the win- uh, oh, side window, took a handbag. So you know, again, uh, there seems to be a slight increase in that at the moment. You know, so people leaving cars, you know, wherever they park them, whether it's a busy spot or quiet spot, do not leave property on display in cars. Are they, uh, is this opportunistic or do we opportunistic? Have, yeah. Opportunistic. Do we have criminals now travelling around looking to see as well? Uh, is there a possibility? Looking around, it, it's just a case. Drop somebody, walk along a line of cars, just see if there's anything in. Just bang the thing and uh, you're gone. Yeah, and you're gone. Once they're once they're not seen, you, you know, all the better. You know. Um, but it's but, just but, for tourists. My God, what a bad image of our country. Yeah. What what, what what a memory to go with, you know. Yeah. Um, the third incident I have, and again, it's something just to wake people's minds up. You know, there's an awful lot of people uh, travelling uh, by all the different coach uh, coach companies um, to you know to the major cities. Now, window going, some people are in the process of relocation. 
and uh, you know so they're bringing everything with them literally in in one or two bags now in in this case it it was a lady um non-national working in this country and she li- literally lost quite a lot um in in her bag she was traveling from uh, on the bus from limerick to cork the bus stopped in uh, child led passengers off and she thought you know to somebody uh, bringing off a bag that that looks similar to her own five minutes later she discovered it was her own now it was too late at that stage and she couldn't uh, couldn't make a report you know until she uh, until she arrived in cork you know but so for people you know if you're on a bus you know i know there's a temptation you know to catch the 10 minutes uh, Sleep, look, make sure you keep an eye on your bag, you know, and again... And it's, it, you know, you straight away, you'd like to think that people would be good. It, it wasn't taken by mistake, wasn't it? No, answer? I don't no. think so. No, oh, God. So. Because we're, we're, we're there was no it. other case like it left behind. We're seeing, no, yeah. no. We're seeing it, uh, it, it occurs from time to time. Um, and you need to be awake as well. We'll just say now, if, if you're travelling from Cork to... Uh, Galway, the bus stops in Limerick. We have seen cases where literally uh, buses were being targeted. You know, the people stay, going to Galway were staying on, um, and literally the when the flap was up, you, you know, something was taken belonging to somebody else. You know, so just for people to bear in mind, if they are on coach journey, just make sure that when the bus stops, that they know where their luggage is. And the same, same can be said for a train, could it? Same can be said for a train. You know, yeah. You know, just for people to. to not everyone is know. honest as, as yourself. Just, you just have to unfortunately think about that. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, Patricia, the last thing I just want to say, and, and just, I suppose, as we move, uh, and more and more we kind of seem to be moving to a cashless uh, society. You see people paying by paying using their phone, even using their watch. Um, but, uh, you, you know, a lot of people are tap and go is getting very popular, you know. Mm. Uh Personally, I don't like it myself. <laughs> you, you, you don't feel as if you're spending money, you know. Yeah, but you uh, are. You are. But you, but you are. And in this case, in this case, uh, a lady got a text message from the bank requesting authorization for transactions on the card. So she contacted the bank and she had five spending transactions totaling about 150 quid, which she hadn't authorized. Mm-hmm. Now she believes she lost the bank card while she was out walking, you know. And, and like, I mean, a lot of people now that keep maybe the bank card, uh, you know, not in a wallet. They might have it inserted into a flap in their mobile phone cover. Absolutely. You see it yeah. everywhere. You see yeah. it everywhere. And, and, and like, you, you, you kind of, you think, oh, I lost the bank card or reported, you know. But you've just lost something, which, you, you, you know, 150 quid roughly can be spent on that. I think you have about four taps. Yeah. Uh, up to about one. Before the bank will be contacted. Cor- yeah. Correct. So just be yeah. honest. So it's, it's, it's like losing 150 euro. It's like 150 euro falling out onto the ground and you walking away. Precisely. You're losing your bank card. the same thing. And, and, and in, in a couple of cases now that we've had, you, you, you know, we get the offender. We get the offender because the offender is normally just maybe a a local kind of ne'er-do-well that kind of thinks, yeah, here's a chance now for for a few bob. And a lot of the times, it's the money is spent in off-licenses, perhaps, you know? Mm. But it, it just means that maybe somebody notches up a criminal record that wouldn't maybe have a criminal record. Or I know, I know, you, I know, you yeah. Know. It's t- you're putting temptation in the way of somebody. Correct. So for, yeah. for people to be cautious of that. So you, tre- you, yeah, you treat it as cash. Yes, correct. And if you do lose it, you need to report immediately. Immediately, yeah, yeah, uh, and 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 I always, always know where it is, you know, okay. uh, and uh, uh, like 
the, the problem is you, you're literally just tapping it and, you, you know, you're not even conscious you're putting back in the wallet or what. You, you know, we were getting very blasé like that. So for yeah. people just to bear it in mind. OK, and we, one of our first calls the, this morning, and we've had a few in since, uh, scam calls onto landlines, uh, the one saying that it's your internet is about to be switched off. I mean, two people who contacted this morning said they immediately contacted their phone and internet provider who said it's a, a scam we're never going to get rid of those calls. We're John. never going to get rid of them calls, and we just have to keep reiterating the voice, the advice, the whole time, you know. And 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 like people need to wake up that we're now seeing a situation where we're probably seeing uh, coming to a point that we're seeing more crimes being done with scams than we are like break-ins to cars or break-ins to you know the physical stuff is just as we're there's a changeover as regards to a cashless society it seems there's a changeover as well that more money is now being taken uh, electronically via internet scams and everything else and and that's you know people will just need to be aware of that if they're contacted if you didn't start the phone call we'll just hang up you know? Yeah, and, and, and actually one of our one of our regular uh, listeners, uh, Heidi, who regularly texts the mm. programme, has just texted to say, Patricia, I've just had a call from a person saying that a transaction has been made on my cards this morning. One was on eBay for €150 Euro and another was Western Euro Union for 1500 I told them I will contact the bank myself. I think it's another scam. Yes, correct. Correct. Anything like that. And we see those electronic and internet scams. They're nearly falling into two categories now. There's the opportunist, right? And the one you just, um, that your caller just uh, alerted you to know is, yeah. uh, is an opportunist one. But then you get the targeted one, right? And I saw a targeted one, the, the, a couple of targeted ones lately uh, that went into big money, whereby somebody rang purporting to be from a company which this person had done business with before. Oh, you're, okay. tr- you're trusting then straight away. Exactly. But they had a level of information that an opportunist caller wouldn't have had. Okay. So they, 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 they basically, in, in, in this case, uh, uh, it was a kind of a share dealing uh, company. Yeah. And advising them of uh, opportunities of co- with, with companies that were about to do an IPO, uh, you, you, you know, p- yeah, yeah, a public yeah. offering, yeah. right? And that, uh, to get in ahead of the posse at, at a reduced rate. Right. Yeah. So you see, they're introducing the greed factor as well. Yeah. Right. Um. In 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 one particular case, it was a five digit sum. You just got to be so you, so you know, careful. So particularly ha- cold calling anyone that rings you out of the blue. Anyone cold calling. Just, just, but just but, but for away. for Heidi, get onto the bank straight away just to make doubly sure that it wasn't the bank calling. Exactly. Uh, but 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 she was right to hang up. But, I'll contact the bank on your own numbers. But can I just say yes? Yeah. Can I just say? Leave a few minutes before you contact yeah. the bank. Yeah. Okay, contact the, contact the bank, not on the, maybe the landline that you're after being rung on. Because after you hang up on that cold caller, that line stays open. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we've so, had people so, caught so out with you, that. You, you hang up and, and they could say, oh yeah, this is the bank here. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be so careful. You've got to make sure that that call got disconnected. Okay, exactly. listen, good words of advice as always, John. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks for joining us. And Heidi, please let us know how you get on. I'd be very interested to hear what the bank has to say uh, to you. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
some of your calls coming into the programme. Oh, by the way, to the listener who contacted us earlier, who drew our attention to a dog poo bin on the Pike Road in Formoy and that it was overflowing and it's not a pretty disgusting first thing this morning. We've been on to the council. They are aware of the bin on the Pike Road. They are aware that it needs to be emptied and they say it is due to be emptied. We also got on to uh, Councillor Noel McCarthy in Formoy and uh, he says he would even clear it out himself if it's not done by the end of the day. Okay, so if any listener in the area is passing and you're out and about with your dog, can you let us know when that bin has been emptied? But we're, we're, to, we're told that it will be cleaned out today. Now, John O'Donovan from the city has been on to us. Seems to be a lot of, of um, items today about TV and what's on the TV. John is wondering, did anybody else watch the programme that was on TV last night called what called Divorcing God? He sat down to watch it. He said, I thought it was going to be an examination of the relationship we have with God today in uh, Ireland. But he was left feeling a little bit disappointed. He felt it was all over the place. He said there was almost a comical aspect to the programme. Too many smart arses. That's John's words, not mine. And they were giving just smart comments. He felt it should have been a, a much more deeper discussion on where Ireland now is with regard to religion. And he wonders, did anybody else watch it? And did anybody else feel the same way he did? That it was just kind of a a smarty kind of a... There wasn't a really in-depth look. And that's what he believed it was and that it should have been. Did anybody else watch that? Divorcing God on TV last night. I'll put my hand up and say, I didn't watch it. What I did watch, I have to say, was that Love Island, my guilty pleasure for the summer. I love what I like about Love Island. I only came to it last year. I hadn't watched it previously. It's just watching the interaction between males and females in relationships. So just I love to people watch anyway. So that kind of a programme appeals to me. But there's an Irish girl called Maura from Longford gone into it last night and I just have a feeling that as a nation we'll be hanging our head in shame if the girl keeps up the way she did last night she was only about 10 minutes of her but it was just one of those moments where you just felt oh my god I would hate to have been Maura's mother she must be just not able to put her head outside the door today anyway maybe that's me being too prudish if you saw that on Love Island I'd be interested in your views 1850 333103 also coming in to uh, us oh uh, seeing as we're, we're giving away tickets to Live at the Marquee today for the Chris Christopherson gig and yesterday we spoke with the lovely Nathan Carter that's prompted a text in from a listener saying Trish is it mad to take two children to see Nathan Carter tomorrow night in the Marquee question mark question mark question mark I would say no you're not mad if you're thinking of taking two children along because actually if, I don't know if you heard my interview with Nathan yesterday and I, I don't know if any of the other Live at the Marquee gigs have this there's a special family price ticket for two adults and, and uh, two children to see Nathan Carter and when I asked Nathan about it he was aware and I'm assuming was involved in this having special tickets that's encouraging children to come along and he says one of the reasons that he loves to see children come along was he himself as a child went to a lot of gigs and it instilled in him this great love of music and then led to his led on to his musical career and they actually are having a special family zone and a kind of a dancing area where children can go and obviously they'll have it corralled off so that they won't be because you know there'll be a lot of people at that concert Nathan has so many fans so they want to keep the children safe and they don't want the children to be scared if they're in you know with a big crowd of people so it's, it, it is that is one of the few gigs that's especially set up 
for you to go along and bring bring your children. So no, I would absolutely say to you, if your children are fans of Nathan Carter, it wouldn't be a mad thing uh, to do. And I'm sure you'll have a terrific night out. And Nathan, such a lovely guy. I was saying it to John Paul afterwards, after we had the chat yesterday. He's just one of those people I love to chat to. I'm not the biggest fan of doing that type of interview. They wouldn't be the interviews that I'd love to do. I'm always a bit uncomfortable doing it. I always feel that there's other people to that style of interview better than I do. And I like to try and do as much research as I can to try, you know, what way am I going to handle the interview? What way will I go with the interview? Uh, And I stress out a lot about them. So I think that's one of the reasons that I'm not the first one out of the traps to say, oh, yeah, I'll interview that person. But Nathan is one of the few. There's there's a few that I can really enjoy. Tommy Fleming is another one, I think, who is an absolute uh, dream. Um, but anyway, so I really enjoyed my interview with Nathan yesterday. He's just, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Now, back to some of the other issues that have come up on the programme today. There is a lot of reaction to John who contacted us, who felt, this was John in Cove, who felt that old age pensioners today get too much. And he was making the point that there are people in the younger generation and families who are really struggling at the moment and he says it always seems to be about the old age pensioners. If you remember back to the downturn in the economy when the state payments like disability allowance, dole, widow's pensions, all of the different social welfare payments were cut except for the old age pensioners they were left alone and a lot of people said rightly so but John and Cove says wrongly so he felt that you know it always seems to be about the old age pensioners and he said they get everything and he was you know citing the TV TV free free TV licence every year he was talking about phone allowance electricity allowance even though I picked him up and said there isn't a phone allowance I don't get that anymore fuel allowance and on and on and on he just felt that old age pensioners have enough and that it's some of their money some of their money and allowances should be reduced and give it to the younger generation because there are families really struggling. And I won't take from the fact that there are families struggling and we have families living in homeless accommodation and we have families living in emergency accommodation, living in hotels and B&Bs and people who can't afford to buy houses. And absolutely, that while the, there is an upturn in the economy, it isn't rising all boats. But I, I still think John is wrong to be targeting old age pensioners. And I, I'm not the only one because other people have reacted and says, you can tell John he has some cheek. I hope old age hits him hard. He deserves nothing better for his attitude towards old people. And that came in from Dennis Hayes in uh, Cork. And then Michael in Castletown Bear says Patricia, the old age pensioners in the United Kingdom are up in arms over the issue you were discussing about the BBC trying to do away with their free TV uh, licence fee. And to think the, the BBC made the announcement on top of the D-Day commemorations. They poured all the glory they could on them on one day, which they truly deserved. They did it for a day and then the next day they come out and say they're going to take away the benefits that they had. Uh, they were heroes for a day and then treated like scum the next day. How low can they go? Says uh, Michael, who very, very annoyed uh, that that happened. I didn't realise it happened the, the day after the D-Day celebrations. Yeah, that, that certainly didn't go down well with uh, older people. And tell that John to go and have a good mm for himself. How dare he say, take anything away from pensioners? How old is he? Will he be able to manage when he is old? I hope he never gets to run the country. We would then all have to lie down and die if we were to live with that kind of... A view from John, not happy at all. 
Tom in Bantry says, would he like to take the place, this is John, would he like to take the place of a pensioner where he would be watching his money and trying to get to A, from A to B, particularly if he's depending on rural transport. Remember, we all have to get old one day. And Jack in Mitchellstown says, and I'm assuming speaking as an old age pensioner, says we all paid our taxes and insurances over the years. Surely we're entitled to something when we reach old age. John needs to cop on to himself someday he too will be old yeah, and the amount of people that are saying that that someday uh, he will he will be uh, old uh, 1850 our lines are open we are in particular looking for your pet questions please because Jane our resident vet will be joining us in studios if you have a pet question I can see some coming in already by WhatsApp you can text WhatsApp them to 086 103 or you can call John Paul who's taking your calls at 1850 333 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie A fundraising raffle for six year old Connor Hartnett from Castleton Roach is going to be held in the Wagon Tavern in Formoy tonight. The weekly bingo starts at half eight and the fundraising raffle will be part of the usual bingo night. Now Connor is currently undergoing treatment in Dublin and your support for Connor and his family would be gratefully appreciated. The annual 5k village run takes place today as part of the, Bay, the Bell of Balancholic Festival. It's tonight, eight o'clock in the GAA Club. This year's Cope Foundation Golf Classic is going ahead in Dublin. Douglas Golf Club is on today and tomorrow and it's made of their independent living facility. Blood transfusion service, they've got a donor clinic in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry today, 3 to 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9 tonight. And the next Kildallery Lotto draw that's on tonight, Ollie's Bar, jackpot €1,500. And Dukas Clonakilty are presenting a lecture entitled Under the Starry Flag. It's by Professor Liam Slayer of New Hampshire University and it's on tonight half past eight in the Parish Centre. And the Mitchestown 5K colour run will take place tomorrow night. Please note that you need to register at half six and then the run, which is always fun, those colour runs, it'll start at eight o'clock from Roach's Spa Shop. All proceeds going to the Carmelite Lourdes Fund. You a cue to text a couple of moments ago because we are in a free Ticket Thursday and we have tickets on this programme to get you to see Chris Christopherson uh, on Sunday June the 23rd Sinead Gearan is in Butterfield. Good afternoon to you Sinead Good afternoon Patricia, how yeah, are you? I'm very well, would you like to go to see Chris Christopherson live at the marquee? I would love it, would, would love it. Would you? Well I have a very simple question for you what? Where is Chris Christopherson from? Is it A. Texas or B. Logford? Uh, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Have you ever seen him live before? I have. I went to Dublin to see him last year. Oh, so you're a big fan. I am. Yeah. Yeah. He's ter- He's terrific. I saw him a number of years ago. I think actually it was at live at the Marquee. I saw him certainly in Cork, or maybe it was in Mill Street. I saw him. I saw him somewhere. Anyway. Oh, but he's great. He's. He, oh, he's. he's who yes. will Who will you bring with you, Sinead? Oh, I bring my husband Dan. Is, and is Dan a yeah. fan of Chris? He's a big fan of Chris. Good, good. Well, go away off with you and enjoy yourself. Perfect. Okay, God bless.
God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, Sinead Kieran in uh, Bottevant. Congratulations on a free uh, ticket Thursday. We have more tickets to give away this afternoon. Nick will have some tickets to give away. Martina will have tickets uh, to give away. And uh, is Eric giving away tickets as well? Eric is giving away tickets uh, as well as we roll through a free ticket Thursday for your tickets to go to live at the marquee. Now, I mentioned earlier that we got some calls in from people who were very disappointed about the news of the Dairy Gold closure in Castletown Road. Uh, Billy Cotter is with the IFA because a number of farmers have contacted us to say the effect it will have on them. Uh, Billy Cotter joins me. Good afternoon to you, Billy. Good afternoon. Did, did you get advance notice that Dairy Gold was going to close in Castletown we, Roach? We did. I suppose we've, it's been kind of I suppose, in the air for about a year or more. And um, it came as a huge surprise. Now, they don't own the building, but they had a lease in it. And they weren't going to read the lease. They didn't go about reading the lease. And there's no reason to close it. It seemed to be a very profitable store. They tell you it's losing money, but they couldn't ever actually tell you. They never broke down the figures or anything for anybody. Yeah. Uh, and the staff, I'm told, are to be redeployed, which which is a bit of comfort. It is, I suppose. Uh, Margaret has gone to Moray, and Ronald's gone to Mill, and Billy has gone to Lumber Town Mill. Yeah. But it was hugely profitable, Patricia. Like, if you just look back to Lowen, we'll say, I know just for a fact they were telling me last week that they sold more coal for one item alone in that store than they sold in any other store on the whole of the Aragon chain, including Mallow from Oye Mitchellstown. To the best of my knowledge, there's more fertilised branch last year than any other branch in the Aragon as well. Uh, like the grain intake, there was a chemical store, there was fertiliser, there was shop, and all they had was tree staff. And if the Aragon couldn't make that profit with the tree staff, there's no store making money. So it's just hard to believe. And what's, what's, well then what's your gut instinct? Why do you think it closed? I, I just think that there's some strategy and there's probably maybe some online model that they want to simplify everything that you buy with you online and they do buy pallets and stuff at a time rather than going down getting a few bags or whatever way. They just seem to want to change the model. It just doesn't make any sense. Like there is no logic when you look at it. Like, it was a service that was needed. And I suppose to be fair, Patricia, on a wider thing, um, like there you go, they're a cooperative. They're not a PLC. You know, they're not like Kerry or Benvia. Yeah. And like I would see them that they have a social responsibility and some community responsibility as well if they are going to close down a store. They have to look at how it will affect the farmers and the general public in the area. And what effect will the closure have on the area? Well, I, in, I suppose on a smaller scale, I suppose to respect passing trade, we'd say we'd like the Downies and Nationals and the likes, but on a farming scale, it will just take the convenience out of doing your business and your day-to-day business on a farm, like purchasing ration or purchasing a water joiner or a water pipe or a pike or a shovel or whatever. Now they expect you to go to Mallow, which is nearly impossible to get into, you know, where the store is in Mallow, or go to Samoy or go to Mitchellstown. Well, it's just a, it just adds like, journey time to for, for people. It's, it's, it's very inconvenient for people oh, who live huge locally. It's inconvenient, huge inconvenient, yeah. And like it was a great service, you could you could buy whatever you seemed to want in that store, or if you if you couldn't get it today, Margaret would have it in for you the following day. You know, it was extremely extremely handy. Yeah. I, actually, to wonder, yeah. I was reading because I know there's a, there's a terrific piece in the on the front page of the Avondu and, and more inside in the in the Avondu uh, today. The staff members in particular seem to have been really loved in the area. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, they were absolutely brilliant at the job. Margaret has worked there all her working life. She's been forty-three years in that building and um, she's been deployed now to Fomoya and really like Margaret was half the sort of business she kept it going Billy was Billy Regan was her deputy and absolutely brilliant and Randall we say ran the yard Randall Regan ran the yard and between the three of them it was exceptionally well run business they would take on part time staff maybe at harvest time and situations like that but they were the three core staff 
and they were to be honest, they were loved by everybody because they were just good at what they did. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Does it look like it's because of the lease on the building? Do you think that's... No. No, that's no. definitely no. not um, it. Look, the, re- the reality was that they didn't approach the owner to extend the lease. And the sad part is, Patricia, they announced the, the closure on the 7th of June. They approached the owner and they asked the owner would he give an extra six-month extension and he did a course thinking that the store would be for another six months. But there he goes, close the store, put it in the place for another six months but nobody can go in and continue the business. A little bit mean and a little bit selfish, there you go, in my opinion. They want to just grab the business and shove it all into the stores and Mallow and Tomoy and Mitchellstone. So, you know, everything shouldn't be going to have some different reason milk. They should be aware of the service and what they have in an area and how to affect the people in the area when they close a store like that. Yeah, we and I know we've been contacted by by certainly older people who get their coal there and the oh, inc- like even, huge yeah, inconvenience even even for them. The water stuff in the village and everything and anything there. You could get anything you want inside there, yeah. And if you go back to Long Patricia as well, they saw the million cats on road, they saw the cleaning cats on road, they saw Belly Hood, they saw Danworth, they saw Donwell, they saw Kedwodden, they saw Danlamona. And like this was the only place left within, you know, there's no place now we'd say within a 10 mile radius. And, you know, this place was of a scale. That should be viable. So it's just, it's just, I don't understand that why Jim Wolf and these people would close this. I just don't get it. And neither does anybody else in the area, to be fair. And of course, nobody in, uh, nobody in the area was consulted about it. No, oh no, no. no they were told no. in a meeting, um, I think a regional meeting, that they were closing so many stores and kept on roads happened to be on the list. And that was it. And once Barry all decided, I don't think God the man could change their minds, yeah. And I mean to see to see a headline in the Avenue, this will rip the heart out of Castletown Roach. Well, it will. Like, like it was the only place, I suppose, apart from the local shop and petrol station, that you would meet people on a daily basis. If you just look at it as on a, on a community and social side alone, apart from the business side of it, it was a place that you'd meet. You know, as a family community, you'd meet people on a daily basis if you were in out there. There's certain times of the year that you'd be in there almost on a daily basis, and you know you'd meet the same faces every morning, whatever. There might be a few wards, whatever. All that's gone now as well. And you just got a yard like they can limp for absolutely no reason that makes any economic sense. In my opinion, like we haven't been given the figures, we've just been told that it's loss making, but we haven't had it broken down as to where it's losing money. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. It's uh, it's it's always sad to see uh, a business go. I think sadder still when it's in a, when it's in a rural area like that. Well, all it right. is like as I said, you're ten miles from anywhere, Patricia. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's going to be so inconvenient for people. Okay, listen. Uh, thank you for that, Billy. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Billy Cotter, IFA in North Cork on the Dairy Gold uh, closure in Castletown Roach. As they say, we got calls in from people uh, quite upset about that closure. 1850-333-103. Can you get your pet questions into us, please? Uh, Because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in studio. Let me take a look over some of your calls and texts coming in. Uh, When I mentioned how much I enjoyed interviewing Nathan Carter, more on Crookstown says uh, she's heard she once heard an interviewer she just can't remember who it was who once interviewed Chris Christopherson who were giving tickets away for today and he never answered a single question that the interviewer asked he did keep talking but he just didn't answer any of the questions the interviewer said it was the hardest interview that he ever uh, did I wonder wonder who that uh, was okay some of your texts uh, um, okay on the other programme then that we were talking about this was the one that John O'Donovan wants to kick off a discussion on this was Divorcing God this is the programme that was on TV last night and John O'Donovan feels that it he thought when he sat down to watch it that it was going 
going to be an examination of our relationship as a nation with God now and how we are today in like 2019 and he thought it was just full of very smart comments and that it wasn't a really deep discussion about religion and he was left very flat and very disappointed uh, following it. Moore says, this is when people can watch a TV programme and get a completely different take on it. Moore says, it was one of the best productions RTE has ever done. Oliver Callanan, that's who hosts us, is a comedian. It was brilliant. I'm not religious, but I'm thinking of going back to it, says Maura. Thoroughly enjoyed that programme last night. Some of your WhatsApps in. Hi, Patricia. I didn't see the programme on God last night, but it's one thing about Christians. We are all, what is it about Christians? We always seem to be mocking and almost hide our belief. Other religions, if you look at Muslims, if you look at the Jewish faith, they seem to be very proud of their religion and they talk openly about it. What is it with us as Christians? We seem to just want to tear people down who believe um, and it really is no one's business but the person themselves. Yeah, it's an interesting take on it. Thank you for that. Catherine says, Hi Trish, Oliver Callanan, comedic. That's where RTE got it wrong. It should have been somebody much more serious doing that programme, a more serious reporter. They got the wrong person to do the show. OK, thank you for that. And thank you to Margaret. Says, Patricia, the phone allowance is back with a long time. Oh, is it? Prolish pensioners. Oh, sorry. I thought it was only electricity. There's phone allowance there. Thank you for that. I didn't realise that. Rose says on the issue of pensioners, I'm 67 years old. I haven't got one cent of my pension yet. Tell that man, John from Cove, to keep his mouth closed. And then Chris says, what age is John? I don't know, but he's certainly not an old age pensioner. I'm a pensioner, paid all my taxes, paid a mortgage, reared my family by doing all sorts of work so that my children could enjoy extra activities. And now I only have my miserable pension. I have to pay all my household bills out of that. Any extra bills, I have to go to the credit union and borrow it. I haven't had a holiday or a break in years. Why? I simply can't afford it. John should come and live with me for two months. He might learn some lessons. And that's kind of kind regards Anne, who says, oh, and I love Chris Christopherson. Unfortunately, the tickets are already gone. Oh, Anne, and you could have done within a set of tickets uh, as well. Uh, thank you for your uh, text. Um, and Heidi's back, says, hi, Patricia, all OK, no money taken, it was a scam. OK, thank you, OK. Heidi was the one who got the call this morning to say two transactions on her card. One was for eBay for 150 and the other was for Western Union for €1,500. One great big scam. Thank you for updating us on that. I know somebody's wondering how was little Freya. I remember the baby we spoke with, Ashley, her mum was having her operation. I actually woke this morning at about half five. And they came into my head. I don't even know this family, but just having spoken to her yesterday, they came into my head straight away. I know John Paul is hoping to put a call through. We don't, you know, we're very aware that there's a, the operation is on today. And I know John Paul is hoping to get a call through before one o'clock today just to see if we can get any update. It's going to be a long operation. She could still be on the operation table. Uh, but keep little Freya in, everybody keep her in, in their thoughts and prayers today. OK, going to take a very quick break and we are back having your pet questions answered with Jane Pickett after the- This is the Court Today replay on C103.
Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joining me in the studio. Good afternoon to you. Hi there. And you're very welcome. And we're straight into questions. 1850-333-103. John Paul is taking questions. You can text her WhatsApp uh, 0862-103-103. Question number one is to do with a nervous cat that was rehomed. It's new search. Spot-ons are up to date. Mm-hmm. But having problems getting the cat to the vet. <laughs> the listener says, I have the scars to prove it. No, no. Um, there's a bald <laughs> patch has appeared at the base of the tail and down the back legs. Okay. The vet wants to see it, but they're having a problem getting it into the vet. Mm. Any advice on what you think it could be? But the spot-ons are up to date. Okay. If the spot-ons are up to date, that's a great first step. Okay. Um, that's absolutely the first thing I'd recommend because we do know with cats, fleas are very common. And sometimes you can get itching, scratching, baldness, um, particularly along the top of the spine, so along the back. Now, there are many other causes of baldness whether they be some slightly rarer, let's say, mites or lice. Um, Is that a spot-on wooden cover? It depends on what spot-on you're using. Okay. Um, so some would, yeah, but some might not. It depends. Um, other causes, we can get skin infections where we get the hair falling out or sometimes little fungal infections of the skin. So they're really important things to check for. So I think your vet is absolutely 100% right. It's really a case and where would the cat it, would, needs would to it be go in a particularly one area because it seems very specific, base of yeah. the tail, down the back legs? It's a funny area of distribution. So another thing we would have to consider given where it's happening is that it could be stress. So sometimes it's kind of like the equivalent of our us biting our nails. So yeah. we're a little bit stressed out, particularly this little cat. We've been rehomed. We're in a new area. We're just settling in. Um, the equivalent of us biting our nails would be them licking their belly and down inside their back legs. Mm. And when they lick and lick and lick, sometimes they can make the area go bald. And sometimes they if they're particularly flexible they might be able to get to the base of the tail or the tail itself so it's certainly something that can happen and that would give us a similar distribution but there's many many other things that can cause baldness and itching um, and hair loss along particularly the inside of the legs uh, base of the tail along the back So the vet is right when they say they want to see it Absolutely How do you get get a, a very nervous cat who's Patience Okay. Um, so I think first of all make sure you keep yourself safe it can be a real challenge and, and the last thing any of us need to be doing is trying to s- stuff an un- un- unwanted cat kind of into a cat box if they're kind of against the idea they're going to make their feelings they known th- I mean you think oh yeah. I'll get into a cat box no problem mm. if the cat doesn't want to go in the no. cat won't go in cat won't go in um, and they will tell you all about it so I think first and foremost keep yourself safe now okay. patience is the order of the day I would have your little cat box put a little comfy blanket inside in it something that your little cat has been lying on recently so it smells like them leave the door open in the place that your cat normally spends most of its time sleeps most okay okay feed it near the cat box take away the scariness of the cat box so it becomes part of their normal environment and they don't associate it with being locked in and shipped around potentially to another home so something quite scary that's happened in this particular little cat's recent history slowly edge that food day by day closer to the door of the cat box and one day put the food inside and feed your little cat inside in the cat box do that for a day or two and then one day when you put the food inside in the cat box and the cat poddles back in and thinks he's just having his normal food close the door 
and then get to the vet. ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. It is. It is. A tr- it really is a tricky one. But but it can't be diagnosed without the no. vet. Without I, the vet I, I really it. don't think so. Yeah. Uh, hi, uh, Patricia and Jane. I have a 15 year old cat. She's starting to look a bit shaky. Her front legs look like she's holding them differently to normal, and sometimes her legs shake. It reminds me of my grandfather, who bless him, had Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. I thought it was diabetes. Uh, because it isn't as bad after a feed. Mm-hmm. The vet thinks it's arthritis, but she's not in any medication. Should I get her checked again? I don't want her in any pain. I have a dog with a bad back and he's on a daily medication. Mm-hmm. Is there something similar if it is arthritis for a cat? Um, yes, absolutely. I think you've done a great job getting your little cat to the vet for a check over. And I think if you're concerned ongoing, it might be best to pop back again for a little revisit and have a, a reassessment and a chat with your vet about how your cat is managing at home. I think if your vet, thinks it's arthritis it is incredibly common in both the dog and cat populations of a certain age um shall we put it very much similar to humans you mentioned that your your little dog is on medication for it's arthritis a bad back exactly um cats can go on similar pain medications it's really important to have a chat with your vet let them know in the daily activities that your cat is carrying out is it able to do the things it normally wants to do let's say is it able to jump is it able to move around comfortably this shaking episodes of the front legs sometimes it's kind of like ourselves if you imagine if you were standing on one leg for a prolonged period of time eventually your muscles would get tired and they'd start to shake and you might feel a little bit unwell and I suspect that that might be what's happening with this little cat is they're just a little bit painful tender on those legs and might be manifesting as a little bit of a shake or and a it is a 15 year old cat it's a fine age yeah, for a cat fine age for a cat so it is um, so I think I would pop along to your vest just explain how it's impacting upon his kind of daily antics as it were and I'm sure they'll be able to prescribe you something if they feel it's appropriate in his case um, and I think particularly in older cats sometimes we have to check out that make sure that they're otherwise okay like their liver and their kidneys are functioning well very much like ourselves if we're on long term medication we'd visit the doctor every six months for bloods it's very similar with older dogs and cats if they're on specific medication long term so I think visit your vet, have a chat, and I'm sure he'll be able to help you out. What what's the oldest cat you've ever dealt with? Twenty two. Ooh, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but like, and like the average is what? Is, oh. Is- if they were making it to the middle or the latter part of their teens they're doing very yeah, well yeah, it's so the oddities that would get to the 18, yeah, 19, 20 okay. yeah. uh, now another listener says my dog is sleeping all day he doesn't come out of his bed until evening time should I be worried? why would a dog be sleeping all day? what's he I doing at night? What? Yeah, that's the first question. Is he getting up to all sorts of antics overnight? <laughs> hopefully not. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully he's not tearing the house apart in the wee hours in the morning. This is unusual. I think, to be honest, it depends on if this is normal for your dog, if this is something he's been doing for quite a while, um, then it may just be a kind of a, a change in his body clock, as it were, very much like ourselves. If we had pre-programmed ourselves to do night shifts, our body clock would shift a little bit um, and we might be quite sleepy during the day and then very active over the course of the evening. Um, if, however, it's something very new for your dog, if it's let's say in the last little while and he doesn't look so well he's a little bit less active than usual then I would be worried that it might not just be sleepiness, sleepiness it might be quite lethargic so he's sign kind of, of something else. sign of something else underlying going on that make that's maybe zapping his energy a little bit making him not feel so great I would probably visit your vet as a precautionary measure to be honest and have a chat through his daily routine and anything that might have changed in the environment or anything else that would have happened um, recently or changed in his history. So a really good history about his drinking habits, his eating habits, his activity levels, how well he does at exercise. So does he get tired really quickly or is he able to keep up for hours? 
have a really good chat with your vet sometimes it can be a bit of a Sherlock Holmes situation but it isn't normal for a dog to sleep all day uh, no a cat yes a cat yes yeah, but uh, not a dog I, w- I would say if it's an older dog very much like people we do have changes in our sleeping habits yeah. as we get older so sometimes we can there's sleep n- there's a no way on it and I'm assuming it's not an older dog yeah you know the fact that they're bothered about why, why is he suddenly doing it exactly if it's a sudden change I would yeah, visit your get vet. it checked yeah. okay John in Skibbereen is five weeks too soon to wean Jack Russell pups if not what age would Jane recommend no I think I think it's fine now so it's really a gradual process um, normally I would say around three well let's say four weeks or so to start maybe just giving them the option of having a little bit of soaked nuts soaked puppy nuts um, and it's more curiosity that will start things off more than anything else so they'll they'll see these little nuts in their in their area and go Ooh, what are these and they'll go over and have a little nibble and a play with them and eventually they'll realise oh I meant to eat these um, they'll still be suckling from their mum but they'll be maybe getting a little bit of their food from the puppy nuts that you're leaving out for them and it's really a gradual process and actually the mum has a, a huge amount of involvement in this as time goes on she can kind of to encourage the puppies to maybe make their way onto more solid food she'll kind of maybe say no you're not having any suckling from milk right now yeah. no. and she'll just kind of give them the she's the cold not shoulder. producing enough as, as they get older anyway as they get older yeah. it's kind of quite a natural process it does reduce down but a lot of that is from herself as well herself kind of saying right that's enough off you go have yeah. some food maybe you can have some milk later um, it's really a gradual process I would say most puppies by the age of seven or eight weeks should be entirely weaned but it is really gradual so I just be patient um, give them the option of let's say some soaked puppy nuts or even some nuts, normal nuts if they like rolling them around but um, I would say it's definitely time to get started Okay, and Helen in Middleton, can cats get chest infections? She has a female neutered cat, 12 years old, sounds chesty. Now, she's had it before and then it just seems to go away and she's perfect again. Uh, She's alert, she's eating, just as kind of a rattly, chesty Mm. sound. Yes, cats can definitely get chest infections. Um, So it's, it's really quite a common thing particularly in cats that um, may not have been vaccinated as kittens or that may have, let's say, roamed the streets or been rehomed. So may have um, not been vaccinated since birth because sometimes we'll vaccinate for some viruses that can eventually result in chest infections. So they can make a cat more prone to getting a chest infection, as it were, as time goes on. Um, Sometimes it can just be once in a blue moon, they might just pick up something like ourselves picking up the flu and they can just get a little bit of an infection that settles into the chest. Sometimes they can blow over on their own, very much like ourselves with the a yes. cough or a cold yeah. can settle but I would say if, you, if you're if you getting to the point where you can hear this chesty sound um, and your cat is probably not feeling that well if, if they're sounding quite chesty yeah. I'd pop to your vet I think if it's obvious to you at home that there's something going and on and it's not going away and it's not going away I'd pop to your vet because you may well need to have a course of antibiotics but your vet will be best able to judge that okay all right. Uh, thank you for that, Jane. Have a good week. Okay. And we'll chat you again next week. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And John Paul says he's just spoken with uh, Ashley uh, Maloney, who joined us yesterday, about her little bit, little 14-month-old Freya, who was going for the operation this morning. She was first on the list, so she went to theatre at 8.30 this morning. They've just had a phone call uh, to say that surgery went well. They got all of the tumour. They said it was a difficult uh, surgery as, the ch- as it turned out the tumour was actually 
stuck to her jugular vein uh, but all went well and they're now as we speak waiting to go down to see her in ICU so that certainly is good news and we'll touch base again with them tomorrow to see how she is getting on so that's just the latest update on little Freya Maloney from Bandon well, that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the night Patricia Messenger Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.